you know, New Year is a weird time. Resolutions, all that stuff, right? New Year's a weird time. Um, I don't want to start kind of on this note, but I want to let you know about something. A couple of years ago on New Year's, we were on break. There was, um, I can't remember, it might have been New Year's Day. We got a call in the church office um, from a girl. Was it two years ago? It was on New Year's Day? Really close. I always think about this over the New Year's because it's, it's important for us to remember. We got a call from a gal claiming to be one age. Turned out she was a minor. Maybe was she 17? And um, she had... Long story short, she uh, had called us because we had something on our website about human trafficking. And she was in Austin and has escaped from, is that going to be me? Sorry. She had escaped from a situation where she had been trafficked from overseas when she was seven years old. And for years, her and two other girls, I believe, were being brought around to other cities major cities in the world, the United States, um, and being sold uh, over and over. And she was in Austin, and she had escaped, and she got on the web, found a number, and called us. That began for us kind of an affirmation of, you know, that, that as we fight for the underdog, as we care for those on the margins, as we, well, I guess you can't take it out of your pocket and then put it on there and walk away. I thought this thing was wireless. What am I doing? I'm sorry. It's all me, obviously. Everybody in the room knows it's me. Um, this is a real thing that happened. And, and, and just as we remember that, um, today across the nation is a day um, many churches and, and many people are focusing on uh, awareness of human trafficking. It's been a, something that we have worked on and worked in and, and communicated and tried to learn a lot over the years. But just we want to take a moment today to just remember and pray for those, this, the movement, the fight against it. Um, it's not our focus of the whole. There's multiple days focusing on these throughout the year. Uh, but we, just, we do want to just take a moment to remember that it's in our own backyard. And that it's a very real thing. And it's one of the most horrible things in the world. That there are more slaves today in the world than there have been ever in the history of our history. And it's um, It's horrible. And so, do want to let you know also, mark your calendars, April 17th and 18th, there is a summit happening here in Austin that is being put on by one of our major partners here at Austin Nutrition, Allies Against Slavery. And it's, it's just a summit, a leadership summit on awareness and learning what you can do and how you can join the fight, as well as some action steps here in our own city that, we want to, that we're trying to partner together to be a part of. And so, it's a long ways off, but April 17th and 18th, kind of put on your calendar, on your, at least on your radar uh, something that maybe, if that strikes a chord in you and the spirit moves in you, that there would be something that you might consider being a part of. You'll hear more about it as we, as we continue. So let's have a moment of prayer. And then we will jump right into Matthew chapter 6, picking up verse 5, where Trey left off six weeks ago, two months ago. Um, Father, we, we want to take a moment now just in solidarity with churches all across our land. just to unify with them in spirit for these um, children, women, men across our world who are held captive and are forced um, 
to live lives that strip them of everything that they are and their dignity. God, we can't even begin to imagine. And so I don't even know that I have the words. So I just ask that your spirit would uh, hear our hearts, translate those to you as we cry out and ask that you would intervene, that you would show us as the body of Christ how to lead the march, um, that you would break our hearts for it, that you would make us incredibly aware of what's going on and that we would not sit idle. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Pretty powerful scripture, isn't it? Well, we, we gain a lot of insight and a lot of the things that we do in our Christian faith based on this, just different pieces of the scripture. And I was going to just teach all of this at one point, and then I started studying it and just, just thought we would focus on the first four verses, three verses um, this morning. That first paragraph, um, you know, we have been talking about the last couple of weeks and, and the thing that God has really put on my heart uh, as a leader, you know, maybe a leader in the church, maybe whatever. I, I have the opportunity to be a part of the leadership team that shapes the direction we go. And the thing that God just continues to push and push and push as we try to be this church that is different. We're not trying, and not because we think it's better or because it's whatever, but because we just acknowledge there's something going on in our culture that we tend, you know, that we miss. And the, the church or, the church often becomes a late adopters of things that are, are right and pure. And we're trying to figure out how to do this thing. And, and this church started as a desire to just partner together with others who are seeking, what, sh- what then should we be about? If what we've been doing has not resulted in the freedom and the peace and the joy and all this stuff Jesus talked about. If, if there still seems to be so much confusion and lack of priority and all, then what should we be about? And so this, this, this faith community, especially for those of you who are visiting, what we have agreed together is that we're going to be on a journey together and we're going to discover what that means. And we're going to live out the best of our ability as we go along and we're going to screw it up and we're going to mess up and we're going to forgive each other and move forward and just keep pressing. That's our heart. And it's just more affirmed, was, was, it's been incredibly affirmed to me over and over these last couple of months. As we think about how do we do church, just that idea that, that you and I are God's method. 
that it's not the structure. The structure, how we do church, should be informed by what we believe about Christ and what we believe about our mission in the kingdom of God, not the other way around. And so as we figure out how we do this, so we constantly press and we learn, right? We get to learn that this be a place that we're always learning. How do we become the men and women that Jesus gave us the calling and God has asked us to try and be? That is, that is our journey. And so the way we're going to be the best church we could ever be is for each one of us individually to be on our own journey as we are on it together. And that this is a place that is always encouraging that, right? That whatever it is, your mission field, your place, your calling, your gifting, whether you have a heart for go, 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 or you have a heart for no, let's stay, stay, stay. And just whatever it may be, that this is a place that we can encourage each other. And I think it just, it starts, it started with Jesus. And now God says, you are my method. And so our goal ultimately, as we look at all these scriptures, this is Jesus teaching his disciples who didn't just have a commitment to the ways of Christ, but their commitment as disciples was saying, our lives are committed to try and become more like Jesus. That's what it is. Whatever it is, we're going to chase the heart of Christ. And so as we look at this, this is this prayer that Jesus has been, uh, or this, this sermon that he gave that started with the Beatitudes that really redefined what it meant to be a disciple. And the values, it always went from the what to the how and the heart and all these things. And it talked about a new posture, how we treat God and how we view God, how we view ourselves in light of how we view God, and then how that then informs how we view one another, because it does. How we view ourselves and how we view ourselves in light of God is the lens in which you and I will intuitively view one another. So when we start going, why, am I, why do I act like that towards that person? How, why do I feel that way about church or about that group or about that thing? We have to almost always go back to how we feel about ourselves is interpreting that thing. And so our focus then is on becoming a disciple, right? That journey, that lifelong journey, that commitment to try and adopt the ways of Christ, the heart of Christ, the things, the practices of Christ. So in this sermon, why then does Jesus focus on prayer? Why do you think? You actually can't interrupt me. This is the non-rhetorical part. Why do you think in this moment, no one, do you remember the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the salt of the, of the world, the city on a hill cannot be hidden. All these things are talking, it, it went into talking then about giving and sacrificially giving to one another and to the, to the body and living a life of selflessness. And now it moves into prayer. Why would Jesus talk about prayer? Why is that so important? Because it centers your inner self on him. How does it do that? Okay. So what you're saying is that when we prayer, we can't help but then focus our energies on just this one-on-one thing. Us, where we are, how we view ourselves, how we view one another, we, we come into a greater intimacy. Right, you're not comparing yourself with anyone else. So what you're saying is, is you're able to get one-on-one. What else? Why else would Jesus teach about prayer? Why would he transition at this time into a focus on prayer?
He's the only one that knows what, what you should be doing. Because he's the, he has, ultimately, he has the answers. He has the insight. He has that. What else? What about in this context specifically? Remember, he says, he starts it when you pray to not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, and all. So in this context, why would he be telling us this? Yes. Yes, that's so good. I, I think all of those are exactly right. I think there's multiple reasons Jesus would teach on prayer. I think the thing that I'm always brought back to, and this is so hard for us as believers for some reason, is to remember that Jesus was constantly confronting um, religion. He was confronting how there is a different way um, that with a different motive in which we do things. Um, it's, it's interesting. I was just, I mean, I just can't help it. You just get on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you just see the judgment and the crassness of believers everywhere. And it's just so frustrating to me. Um, and you just see it from believers just spitting fire and judgment and, and, and all of these things. Um, but when Jesus confronted people and he spoke truth, it was almost always confronting religion and, and those who claimed to, do, to know God in a certain way. And he was always so gentle for the broken that acknowledged their sin and were caught in the middle. He still spoke truth. But I think that Jesus is constantly in this sermon. You have to see this through the lens. Exactly what, what Laurel was saying is that he's confronting the norm that had become rote. But it's something that we slip into. We slip into it. I slip into roteness, don't you? In your spiritual journey, I do. My tendency is to slip into roteness. And it has to be a discipline for me to make sure and to ensure, for me to ensure that I am focused in the right ways. So I think this is a reminder here. He's confronting some two norms and contrasting how a true disciple of him should, uh, should, move into something like that, but it's a reminder to us too, because things haven't changed much. I mean, they do, but culture, culture change, uh, culture shifts, but the way we live as humans and as we try to approach God, many times the patterns are the same. So let's look through these few verses real quick and, and see what we can gain, what he's talking about and what is supposed to be shifting and what can we learn from this scripture as we are seeking to be the men and women that Christ called us to be. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners, seen by others. Let's just, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. How do you feel when someone calls you a hypocrite? You like that? You know what? You're a hypocrite. How does that feel? I like instantly, like, well, you're a jerk, you know? Or, yeah, well, let's step outside, you know? Because I just, it really, that word, like I've got goosebumps. I said it and it, my cackle, I'm getting mad. I don't want to be, don't call me a hypocrite, you know. Um, when you hear the word hypocrite, what do you think of? What does, what does it mean? What is hypocrite? To say one thing and do another. Huh? Fake. What's on your mind? Some, throw them out. Liar. What else? Judging, not genuine, huh? No, just whisper it and not say it again. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that come to mind. You know what come to mi- comes to mind with me? Judgment. That what you said, judgment. I feel judged. When I hear, when I hear, if I feel, even I, I, I feel myself sometimes like a hypocrite. Do you ever do that? I feel like a hypocrite a lot of times. And, and you know how I remedy that? I make sure I don't accuse anyone else of that same thing, that same sin. Like that thing, I'm a real hypocrite if I preach against it and then I do it. But if I don't preach against it, it's cool. <laughs> I feel better. Because if, for me, I'm always thinking of, of, of judgment when it comes to hypocrite. Like it's, the, it's not just the person that sins because we all sin. It's the person that sins and says they don't sin and then accuses other people of doing it. Right? So that's the thing I think we see a lot. That is that that just uh, we want we want to go. Uh, I hate that. Um, but the word here, hypocrite, really really doesn't mean that judgment. It really doesn't mean even that I'm saying one thing or that I'm saying I believe one thing and I don't. It doesn't really mean that you're accusing some, that you are teaching against something, but you're doing it secretly on purpose. It's not, not really a term that's a, a very malicious term. That's like you're intentionally trying to mislead or whatever. It just simply means performing under an, a mask. We, we, we apply it to a certain understanding, but in this context, it just means performing under a mask to which... Um, it's a dangerous thing. I mean, it's calling out something that we all do in one way or another in our lives. But he's calling it out, and he just said, man, you, you hypocrites, you're hypocrites. Those are, all the hypocrites are hypocrites. He's not saying that. He's just saying, this is something that exists, and it's not the way of Christ. It's not what God has in store for you. He doesn't desire for you to operate or to perform um, under the cover of, of, of a mask as an actor. Now, we know that it can be. Hypocrites still describe someone who does that intentionally and then accuses someone else of doing it and does it themselves, all that, still in our words. But we usually associate that, it that way. Um, how does that definition change how you typically view um, hypocrisy? I guess I kind of just talked about it, didn't I? Yeah, because I think we all um, act differently out of our woundedness and our brokenness in different ways, right? Like, like that thing that happened or the reality we lived in or that whatever that has shaped our trust or shaped our um, ability to, our, our desire to forgive, or shaped all these. Like, we all have something, some woundedness in which we, we operate out of in relationship to other people, right? And that's the, that's the big thing with this word that we translate to the word hypocrite, is that um, it's how it's perceived to others, not just who we really are, who we really desire to be, or how we really value Christ. It's just our concern now for how others view us, right? And in fact, it says, for they love to pray, how? Standing in synagogues and on the street corners, why? To be seen by others, 
right? So I think he's drawing light to there's something in us that we intuitively, because of our brokenness and in our brokenness, we towards, tend to lean towards doing things for others instead of whom? Instead of God, right? So there's this thing that's going on that he is drawing out. And I think in the context of, I think Jesus would start here to help us see that there's this intimacy issue between man and God. Well, there's this thing called sin that separates us, right? And so Jesus' goal is to restore, to bring us back towards him. In fact, the word peace in scripture many times means to set at one again, to bring us back to the father like children to their father, right? And so that there's this gap. And so then now that we know spiritually and for eternity, we are returned and we are brought back in Christ, right? That, that we should work deeply. We should work hard then to put more focus on changing this gap between what our perception is and where we really are. That like we need to try and work in that space. But some, our culture, it's way too easy to just pretend we're here when we're not. It's a horrible cycle. Because we know scripture over and over and over talks about that our healing starts in that place of vulnerability. I'm getting ahead. So it says that, okay, they, they want to do this. We want to do that. We want to be in the synagogues and street corners. We want to be heard. We want to be seen by others. Second part of verse 5. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So their goal was to see by man. What was their reward? They were seen. They were acknowledged by man. Their, their goal, this, was the, this is the problem. This is the first roadblock. Okay? When our, when our we, don't even, we may not even know it, but the reason we do is for to be seen by man or to be approved by man or to, are we they don't, might not even know it, might not even see it, might not even be malicious, might not even be a bad person. It just, we lean, so let's, Keep our eye on it. And the reason is, is because that's all you get. Ha, 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 ha. That's what he's doing, right? Ha, you get a little scoundrel. You get what you deserve. And it's not what he's doing here. He's saying, guys, that's all they get. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? That's not why I die. I'm going to die on the cross for you. So that that's all you get. There's more. There's more. So he's not really focusing here on the how of that prayer. He's really focusing on the heart and the focus of that prayer because there's more. Verse 6, but when you pray, so so this is your reward in full, man. All that we do, I I would argue even outside of of every good deed, every sacrifice we make, Every church service we come to, every Bible study we lead, every prayer we do, everything that we can do, if our goal is just to be seen and to make our, and feel like we're doing it, then our reward is man. It ends there. It's tragic. Jesus is saying, there's more. I want you to, I want you to experience more. Well, no wonder, no wonder I don't have peace in that area. No wonder I'm not hearing from God in that area. No wonder there's just confusion after confusion. Now, that, it, this isn't a promise that things are going to, that everything's going to be perfect, but it starts to make a little sense. I just feel like God is not. Where is he? But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
Is Jesus really telling us to never pray in public or with other people here? What is he doing, you think? Huh? Okay, your motive. In what way? Well, so let me say this. What if I told you that your room in this scripture is really translated a secret chamber or an inner room? If I, what if I told you that that's what that meant? And, and, and then I said, what if this was a metaphor? How, how, how would that change how you view that scripture? What would be your inner room? Yeah. Maybe your, maybe your heart. Secret chamber. Anybody got a secret chamber? I don't want to see it. Don't show me your secret chamber. Seriously. Right? So he's saying, when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. In the secret chamber, in the inner room, in the most intimate place, our hearts, our secrets, our hidden sin. I think the focus here is that transparency, that authenticity, that vulnerability. I don't think the focus is the closet. I think it is good to retreat, to get alone, to be one-on-one, to eliminate uh, distractions. But the focus is not the closet itself. I'm going to go, see, I'm in the closet praying. Great. I did it. It's that intimate place. It's that place that, um, you know, the very first of the Beatitudes was was what? Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, which means spiritually impoverished, which means that you realize you're so low, you can't reach the bottom rung of poverty without help from Jesus. You just can't. You know it, right? That's the posture of humility and vulnerability and understand our level and our need for Christ. It's that place. It's, it's not the place where we pretend like he doesn't know, you know, what we don't believe or what we struggle with or whatever, right? It's that intimate place. That our father, say, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. I, we know that he's, we see him, right? It says that he's unseen, but I think this is reminding us that it's in that place where he meets us. It's in that place of vulnerability and confession and honesty with him that he really, that he really meets us. Then your father who sees what is done in secret then your father who sees you in your most vulnerable and honest and transparent state, who already do it anyways, meets you in that place. And he doesn't beat you up. He's already, he's already extended Christ to you. He meets you in that place and it says he will reward you. And that word, word reward means to restore. I think it's pretty general intentionally because whatever that thing is, that's the beginning of healing. He will reward you. He will restore your prayers will not be in vain. And when you pray, verse 7, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Two kinds of babbling in my mind. Where's Trey? Hey, Trey. Hey, Trey. You know, Trey, um, I just want to tell you, Trey, I just want to tell you, Trey, that I'm glad you're here, Trey. You're here, Trey, and I'm glad... And not because you had to be here, Trey, but Trey, because you want to be here. And Trey, because you want to be here, I'm glad that you're here, Trey. And you could be somewhere else, Trey, but you're not, Trey. You're here, so I want to tell you, Trey, I'm glad you're here, Trey. Just want to let you know. That's one. You ever do that? I do. I do that. Dang it. You ever wonder if sometimes God's sitting there going, why do you keep saying that? What? What? I heard you the first time. 
I think one that, that babbling means meaningless repetition, like kind of just wrote, kind of going through whatever. Okay, it's dangerous telling us to not keep on babbling like, like pavement. But I think there's also another kind uh, of babbling and in, in talking. Um, I, I catch myself too often. I'm in a conversation with someone and I start thinking about what I want to say next and I stop thinking about what they're saying and it's, I'm just waiting for them to breathe. So as soon as they breathe, I can say what I want to say. I think many times if we're babbling, we just keep going on and on and on. I think sometimes it may be an indicator that we really don't want to hear what God has to say about it. And we just want to keep telling him stuff and not just pause and value his presence or value what he has to say. But then there's also just the babbling and the show and the whatever. It's an ind- I think it's an indicator of something. It's an indicator of a lack of intimacy in, the intimacy in that moment. If you ever find yourself just going through that motion, I think Jesus is teaching us here that we need to be careful. I think there's some more roots to this as well. We don't have time for today, but just a thought there. Verse 8, do not be like them. Them, who, who are them? Hypocrites and the pagans, right? And the pagans here, actually, that, that, that's talking about uh, Gentiles, those in, in this scripture. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I love the word knows. We've talked about this. We, recently, in the last several months, we've talked about this word knows. Does anybody remember what the word know when it's used in this context means? Remember? Anybody? I'm, I wouldn't remember if I was you. Huh? Right. It is. It means perceives. Like perceives, like a father perceives. You know, you could hear, I was sitting on the couch yesterday, and the kids were, the younger ones were in, the, in Remy's room, and they were, they were playing games, and they were just cackling, and you could just stop for a moment. You could hear whether or not it was anger cackle or fun cackle, you know? Like, you, ha- you know, a father, well, actually, fathers, I just, Jen knows the difference, you know, between that. But I love this, I love this reminder at the end of the scripture. It, it says, it says that your father perceives your needs. Even before you ask him, it's such an intimate word that there's a perception, there's a perceives. He sees it. He understands it before you verbalize it, before you even think it. He knows, he perceives the things we don't perceive yet. That God is a very personal God who knows um, and perceives what's going on here. So, Three things I think about this scripture that I think I, I would hope for us to take with us. Um, the first one, Jesus has given us a permission to speak freely. I was in the military for a little while, and, and when I was in basic training, I was a little older than most of the guys. I went in the summer, so my whole platoon were, six, were 17 and 18-year-olds, and I was 23. And um, I felt like I was in high school the whole time. But I remember how the drill sergeants would interact with us, and at the very end, I had an opportunity where it was just me and one of the drill sergeants and I asked him, I said, I said, Joe, sorry, can I have permission to speak freely? And he said, yes. It was the best conversation I've had with him. All of a sudden, something got very personal. We talked about our families. We talked about our lives, what our aspirations were. Something just got very vulnerable in that moment. Jesus is giving us here permission to speak freely with, this, with the God who spoke, and it was. To, to skip the act, just to go there. He gives us permission to speak freely. The second one he's telling us is that our, our reward, our restoration, comes from the inner place. It comes in that place. And it's just, it just God loves us too much to allow us to try and stack healing on top of something that's not dealt with. 
He's just not going to go there until we go there. He may bring us there. But his desires to meet us in that place. And our no, to know that our, all that we're striving for and that we're hoping for only comes out of that. All right? And the last thing is that this is not a rebuke or a formula, but it's an invitation. It's an invitation to healing or whatever it is where you are, your deepest places. God perceives them in that place. That place is where we want to be. I'm reminded John 15, 5, where Jesus just says it straight as can be. He says, remain in, me, in, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what that word nothing means? No thing. <laughs> nothing. All that we seek, all that we hope for. If we can't overcome, if we can't forgive, we can't find peace, we can't break addictions. Those things are all found in this place. Let's pray.